Welcome to the Strategic Planning Podcast with financial coach Mike Flanders. With more than 40 years of experience in the financial services industry, Mike knows the X's and O's that'll help you achieve your financial goals. It's time for the Strategic Planning Podcast. Welcome into another edition of the podcast. It's Strategic Planning with Mike Flanders, financial coach at Strategic Planning Corporation. And we're going to follow up with the second half of our prior podcast where we're sitting in on one of Mike's webinars around Social Security and those conversation points that he began the last time. So he's going to go through again some of the Social Security changes for 2023, uh, some big picture items on RMDs with different legislation that happened, and just really going to kind of uh, finish up that chat listening to this uh, fantastic webinar from Mike. So if you have any questions or concerns, get onto the calendar, have a conversation about how this affects you specifically by reaching out to Mike at spcinvesting.com. That's spcinvesting.com. And here we go. All right, let's shift gears for a second and talk about Medicare premiums in 2023. Now in 2023, the Part B, which is the physician's coverage for Medicare, is $164.90 a month. That's down from $170.10 last year. Last year, it was a little bit artificially high because of an Alzheimer's drug that was uh, put out. Um, it's called a Duhome. I think that's how you pronounce it came out, it was $56,000 for that drug. And uh, that didn't include the cost to administer it. It's an infusion process, I believe. The um, company uh, came under a lot of fire for a lot of reasons. Uh, one is was killing some people and causing a lot of medical problems with them. They didn't do all the testing. FDA approved it before they probably should have. And so the company dropped the cost uh, in half. <laughs> Rather than 56000 they said, okay, we'll do 28000 instead. Uh, so that is why the cost came down somewhat this year. Medicare trying to take into consideration that they wouldn't have as much that they needed to um, reserve in order to pay for the potential cost of this administration of this drug. So that uh, is a lower cost this year. Even though uh, the base premiums lowered, uh, that's $164.90, some people uh, actually will pay more due to what's called the IRMAA. And what is that? We'll talk about that. If you're on Social Security, there is a provision called the Hold Harmless Provision in Part B Premiums that are deducted from your Social Security benefit if you're receiving uh, Social Security benefits. Um, this hold harmless provision says that if the cost of living adjustment doesn't cover any increased in increases in the cost of Part B Medicare, then there will be an adjustment so that you don't have your Social Security benefit eaten up by the additional premium. Uh, this year's Social Security COLA of 8.7%. And the reduction in Part B Medicare premiums means that uh, the COLA more than covered the increase in premiums because there wasn't one. So the hold harmless provision didn't apply this year, but it, it applies when the COLA does not cover that increase. And there's that, what I was just talking about, about the 8.7% uh, causing it not to apply this year. So what is that IRMAA? That's called the Income-Related Monthly Adjustment Amount. And this uh, will affect more people because of uh, the way inflation is calculated in this. But 
what it amounts to is this. Um, Irma is an extra premium that you have to pay if your modified adjusted gross income exceeds $97,000. If you're single, if you're married, it's uh, $194,000. And if you're filing jointly. So those amounts are increased from $91,000 in uh, 2022 and from $182,000 for married filing jointly in, in 2002. What that uh, modified adjusted gross income or MAGI, as it's often referred to, is, is it is your going back to that adjusted gross income figure that we talked about earlier, and you add the tax exempt interest. Remember when we were talking about that before, you took your adjusted gross income, added half your Social Security benefit and any tax exempt interest to come up with your provisional income for figuring if any of your social security income was taxable. This is just for figuring, do you have to pay an additional premium for your part B of Medicare? And it's called MAGI. It's just the adjusted gross income plus your tax exempt interest. And by the way, your adjusted gross income already calculates how much of your social security benefit is going to be in your taxable income. So your premium each year is based on the tax return that you filed two years previously. If you're looking at 2023, the premium that you pay this year is going to be based on what your income was in 2021 on your tax return. There are some provisions if you reported higher amounts of income in 2021 than normal, where you could actually have this IRMA adjusted or Uh, forgiven or what have you, if you have this some life-changing event, like say you've retired since then, and so you're living on a lower income. That's an appeal that you can make and possibly have that IRMA surcharge reduced. The um, receipt of capital gains on the sale of stocks or things like that is not a basis for an appeal. Uh, So that just is going to stay with you for that year. And then if you fall back down to regular income without a large capital gain in a later year, like in 2022, then your 2024 IRMA might go away or fall into a lower bracket. Uh, And that's where I'm talking about if you have a life-changing event, such as retirement, uh, that you can um, appeal that. All right. So what does this look like? Well, Remember, I said if you're single and your modified adjusted gross income, let me go over here. You're single, your modified adjusted gross income is $97,000 or less. Or if your modified adjusted gross income filing jointly is $194,000 or less. And again, if you're married filing separately, it's the 97 figure. Then your Part B premium that's paid to Medicare is $164.90 for 2023. There is no additional IRMA premium due. So your total Part B premium is $164.90. No additional on your Part D drug prescription uh, coverage either. But if you start to exceed these and you're between $97,000 and $123,000, single, $194,246, you're filing jointly, doesn't apply on separate, you pay the regular $164.90. Medicare Part B premium, and an additional $65.90, or a total of $230.80. Your Part D premium goes up by $12.20. So these are numbers that are on top of what you pay for a Medicare supplement coverage, or a Medicare Advantage, or Part D prescription drug care. These are added to that. They are taken out of Social Security if you're getting Social Security, or if you're not, 
and you're just on Medicare, then you would be paying these separately. So you can see the different brackets, you can find yours. So if you're between uh, 123 and 153 single, 246,000 and 306,000, married filing jointly, $329 a month, to 428, 527 and 560 if you're over half million or 750,000. The married filing separately comes back in down here at these factors. You can see that they pulled these down here. So they're trying to catch that loophole deal again. So where they get you to a higher IRMA premium penalty quicker. So that's a nice little chart there. How about Medicare dates? Whether you're already on Medicare or you're getting ready to get started, there are some dates that you really do need to pay attention to. So for instance, um, January 1 to March 31 each year, uh, that is what is called the Medicare Advantage, not Medicare Supplement, but Medicare Advantage disenrollment period. During this time, you can get out of a Medicare Advantage plan and go back to original Medicare if you want to, but you want to make sure that you can get supplemental coverage. Uh, if you go back to original Medicare, there are going to be some gaps that you want to cover with a Medigap or Medicare supplement policy. And there are some provisions that say uh, if you are outside of your original open enrollment period with uh, applying for a Medigap or a Medicare supplement policy, and generally that's the first six months after you enroll in Part B, then they don't have to take you. They're going to ask you some health questions, some medical questions. And if you have health issues and you've dropped your Medicare Advantage plan, wanting to get back into regular Medicare and get a supplement or a Medigap policy, they can decline you. Uh, or rate you. So you want to be sure that you've got that lined up first before you think about dropping a Medicare Advantage plan in this uh, disenrollment period, the first quarter of, e of each year. So that's the disenrollment period where you can go back to original Medicare. Also, um, from January 1 to March 31, you have uh, what's called a uh, Medicare general enrollment period. And so this is for people that miss their initial enrollment period or their special enrollment period if they had continued to work after age 65 when they first became eligible for social, I mean, for Medicare, then you can, uh, your coverage would uh, start in this period uh, uh, or, or you could enroll, I should say, outside of those initial or special enrollment periods during the January 1 to March 31 period. And then your coverage would start on July 1st of that year. Just try and watch out for these things and don't miss these periods because this was one that comes up each year that most people are aware of. And that's the October 15 to December 7 uh, annual open enrollment period. And it's for people that are on Medicare. In, in September, you'll get something from your current plan about the offerings that they're having for the coming year, whether it's the same things or some adjustments. And you want to pay attention to this because your premiums might be going up, your coverage might change. So um, there's also new plans that come into your areas. Um, each area in the country has plans that are offered by different private insurers. If you currently have a Medicare Advantage plan, you'll want to see how it will be changing for the next year. Uh, if you have regular or original Medicare, you'll want to see how your drug plan will change for the next year. So there's things to look at and see uh, to make sure they're going to still cover things like the drugs that you take, they have the doctors you have. Uh, you know, just different things like that. 
Uh, you can also, during this time, look at other plans that are available in your area. Just go to Medicare.gov and you can uh, do a search and see what else is available. I would highly recommend talking to a professional um, about this. Uh, you don't pay any more for your coverage to get the help of uh, a professional insurance agent. Uh, we work with a gentleman, Clive Berger. It does a great job for folks. Happy to introduce you to him if you'd like to, but get some help because it's, it's no additional charge for you to do that. So you want to look at these plans um, coming up to this enrollment period so that you're ready so to um, be enrolled or change make changes by December 7th, the deadline. If you don't do anything during that time, you'll just be re-enrolled in the same plan you're in for the coming year. You still have that January 1 to March 31 switch if you're on a Medicare Advantage plan where you can disenroll, go back to a regular or original uh, Medicare, but it's much more efficient to do it during this period. And um, if you're not going to stay in your new plan for the uh, coming full calendar year. Uh, so that's annual open enrollment. Switch plans effective January 1 is when this takes effect. And uh, drug plans, you also take effect January 1 for any switches you do uh, if you have the original Medicare and a drug plan that goes with that. Also, um, we talked about that. Uh, you want to make that switch by December 31. Okay, so that's Medicare. How about the future of Social Security? Social Security is uh, technically called OASDI or Old Age Survivors Disability Income Trust Funds. It was uh, originally set up in the, early, in the 1930s. Uh, by the way, Social Security's um, retirement benefit or old age benefit, this OA part, uh, the first benefit was paid out uh, under Social Security in 1937. Back then, it was a lump sum benefit. It wasn't a monthly income benefit. And the total amount paid to the first beneficiary of Social Security retirement benefits received 17 cents. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, when it was first set up, it was designed to be a pay-as-you-go system. Payroll taxes from current workers would go into a trust fund and then immediately go out to, be, to pay current retirees their benefits or survivors, their benefits. And with the baby boomer generation uh, being at their peak earning years, uh, during that time, the trust fund started to accumulate more than they needed for paying current benefits. Subsequent generations have not had as many children in them, a variety of reasons, some I hate horrendously, um, but um, the, the accumulation now is not going to be enough or to cover a shortfall that is starting to occur in the payroll taxes coming in. The trust fund holds about $2.8 trillion at the end of 2021. They're invested in special issue treasury securities, and uh, they are liquidated as needed to make up the difference in benefits that are coming out over and above the payroll taxes that come in. So as baby boomers start retiring, the trust fund assets will gradually be drawn down. You can see that in 2022, after a surplus or a, a balance, I should say, in the trust funds of $2.8 trillion, trillion with a T, 2022, the total income that came into the trust funds from payroll taxes, $1.2 trillion. The expenditures were $1.24, okay, so a little bit more. So they had a decrease in assets of $89 billion. Basically, it was drawn down to make up the 
difference in the benefits being paid so that at the end of 2022, one year later, the trust funds had dropped to 2.83 down from 2.852. And you might say, well, wait a minute, that's only 30 or 22,000, 22 billion dollars difference. Um, yeah. Uh, why did they draw at 89? Well, because of earnings, uh, that sort of thing. So what are the long-term project projections like? Over the next 75 years, costs will begin to exceed income. Uh, there's enough reserves in the system that they should be able to continue to pay 100% of promised benefits, you know, the things that you see in your Social Security benefit if you pull it down from the ssa.gov website. They should be able to continue to pay those uh, benefits until 2034 based on current projections. After that, if there's nothing done to reform the system, uh, income will be sufficient to probably cover about 80% of the promised benefits. So what would it take to restore solvency? Right now, it's not an imminent danger. I mean, we're in 2023 right now. We're talking about 2034. That's 11 years out, 10 and a half years out. Uh, but most people agree that the earlier reforms are instituted, the less painful it's going to be on everyone down the road. It's really just a math problem, folks. Uh, it involves increased revenues, cut benefits, or a combination of two. So here's a few of the ideas that have been put out there for resolving this issue. Uh, one, uh, increase the maximum earnings that are subject to Social Security tax. Remember, we talked about for 2023, the cap was $160,200 of earnings that were taxed for Social Security purposes at 6.2%. Well, if you want to shore up the system, maybe you increase those numbers uh, or maybe you just eliminate it altogether and have more of people's earned income taxed, and that would increase the revenue and reduce the drag on the trust funds. That would have impact your higher earners only. Uh, a second proposal that's been thrown out there to reform the system is calls for raising the full retirement age. Right now, uh, the full retirement age is 66 for people that were born prior to 1954 and before 1943. Well, all those are you know, already over 66, of course. Uh, if you were born after 1954, so 55, but uh, up until 1960, it is 67 or something between 66 and 67. Basically, in 1955, rather than being a 66, it was 66 in two months. If you were born in 56, it's 66 in four months. So it increases by two months a year until when you get to 1960. Full retirement age is an even age 67. So if uh, you say, well, rather than doing uh, that, since we are um, seeing people that typically are living longer, it's, it's you know that's a, an argument for raising the retirement age, the full retirement age. Um, you know, maybe that makes sense since folks are living longer. You know, they didn't anticipate when they first started Social Security that people would live 20, 30 years in retirement and in, in collecting these benefits. Actually, there was no early retirement age of 62 when Social Security was first started. The only age at which you could retire was 65. And when they first set this up in the early 1930s, uh, life expectancy was about 59. So they didn't think a whole lot of people would necessarily collect the benefit. That's changed dramatically. Um, my father-in-law, for instance, was born in 1926. And um, 
he lived to almost 95. So uh, it's a lot longer than they anticipated, 59 being the life expectancy back when they started things out. Uh, an argument against uh, increasing the full retirement age or normal retirement age is that people who are in more physical labor occupations really may not be able to work until age 70 or later. So, you know, that's there's there's pros and cons to all these different things. Another reform that's been uh, proposed would be to change the benefit formula so that future increases would happen at a slower pace. And this would affect the benefits of future retirees, not people currently receiving. So you might change the calculation for the consumer price index that they use or any number of things that could just lower the benefits by changing the escalating rate of benefit. A fourth proposal some people are talking about is uh, reduce the cost of living adjustments uh, for those going forward. This could give, I could give retirees um, a lower benefit uh, than they might have otherwise gotten, but not cut it back by 20% to an 80% amount. It just gradually be a little bit smaller each year as you go forward because the COLAs won't be as great. So what will Congress do? Uh, will they do anything uh, to address Social Security this year? I mean, there are proposals that are made. Uh, you know, it's the third rail of uh, politics. They say you don't touch it uh, unless you want to get out of office. And these folks are in there to stay in office and get their pension and have power and all the other things that come with being in politics. But, um, you know, given that there are so many different ways the system could be reformed, um, could they do something maybe, but I'd say probably not. There's a proposal out there called the Social Security 2100 Act. Uh, John Larson, a, a congressman from Connecticut, proposed it. It might come to a vote this year. It would restore full solvency to the Social Security system without affecting benefits for current retirees. But uh, it probably won't um, come up. It probably nothing will probably happen because Social Security is just not a priority with Congress. It's not in immediate danger of going running out of money. So theoretically, they have until 2034 before they really have to worry about it. And like I said, last time they did something about it in 1984, uh, they actually passed the things in 83 that took effect in 84. So they have a history of waiting to the last minute. So when it's time for you to claim your Social Security benefit, what are uh, some of the strategies that are out there that you might use? And this is how I want to finish up our talk today. Um, if you um, are, are not taking benefits yet, um, then this uh, is something that would uh, possibly apply to you. Uh, some of these things we're going to look at. But if you are already taking benefits, this first one we're going to discuss, file and suspend, is something that you may have looked at and may have been able to take advantage of or not. So you may have heard of this file and suspend strategy. Uh, that's the one where high earning spouse, the, the higher earning spouse, I should say, files for their benefits and then immediately suspends them. So you apply for social security and then say, okay, now I don't want to start taking it. I'm suspending it. I'm not withdrawing my application. I'm saying I've applied for the benefit, but don't pay me right now. And so you've opened your record then what that did was it allowed the lower earning spouse to claim a spousal benefit. And uh, the, the um, Budget Act of 2015 disallowed uh, some of these claiming strategies and file and suspend was one of those that was eliminated. 
the last day that you had to uh, file and suspend was April 29th, 2016. They gave you a little run room there to get it done. And unless you placed your suspension out there before April 29th of, of 2016, your spouse will not be able to claim a spousal benefit in this way. So for those of you who did suspend before that deadline, and that's the only reason I bring this up, quite frankly, um, it's mostly a question of making sure your spouse takes their spousal benefit at the optimal time if you haven't done that already. So other than that, it's basically a question of sitting back and waiting. Your benefit will automatically resume at age 70 if you filed and suspended. Um, there are other options, but that's that's really the reason you do that. All right. So if you were born before January 2nd, 1954. So again, uh, at this point, you're almost 70 years old. And uh, so you may be getting benefits. Um, the, the strategy is called claim now, claim more later. Uh, this is more important than that file and suspend thing. If you were born before 54, you're grandfathered for a key strategy that could increase your benefits and shore up your retirement a little bit. So it's generally not possible to take a benefit that's based on your spouse's record if your own benefit's higher. So let's say you're the husband, your benefit would be 3000 a month. Your wife worked and her benefit's 1000 a month, okay? So your benefit's higher. But if you were born before January 2nd of 1954, so that means January 1st, 54 or earlier, you can do that. So provided you wait till your full retirement age, and then you directly specify in your application that you want your spousal benefit only, not yours, but just you're applying for the spousal benefit, then you can collect that amount, which would be half of your lower earning spouse's benefit and delay taking yours. So why would you do this? Well, if you restrict your application to a spousal benefit only, you'll receive that benefit, but allow your own benefit, which is higher, to continue to build with delayed credits up until age 70 is the last date you want to do that. So let's look at an example of that. So when, when you get a spousal benefit, it's where the lower earning spouse can receive 50% of the higher earning spouse's primary insurance amount, or PIA. Um, so the, you can't do this if your benefit's higher. So uh, you have to be the lower earning spouse. The higher earning spouse can't do it on the lower earning spouses and stuff. So uh, some of these loopholes have closed. This one hasn't. Here's what happens. If you're claiming before your full retirement benefit, the benefit will be less than 50%. So you would not want to do that. The higher earning spouse has to claim their own benefit in order to do this. And there's no delayed credits for spousal benefits. So you're, you're going in there and you're saying, I'm going to start taking my spouse's spousal, her benefit, say the spouse has claimed the benefit as a spouse that, or excuse me, the higher earning spouse has claimed the benefit as a spouse. And you um, want to have that delayed credit building. So you're just getting a benefit while you're letting that happen. A little confusing. I kind of messed it up there. But anyway, bottom line is if you're interested in looking at whether it makes sense to take your own benefit or on your spouse's lower benefit, take a spousal benefit, um, that and, and that spouse will be taking their benefit also. So remember, you can't file and suspend anymore. So they both have to be taking the benefits. Just the lower earning spouse is going to be taking theirs and the higher earning is going to be taking a spousal benefit on the lower spouse's benefit. 
and then letting their higher benefit continue to build credits later. If you want us to run some stuff on that, we'll do that. And fortunately, the computer is a lot smarter than I am. So that brings us basically to the end of our presentation that um, as far as some of these changes and all, but there's um, a lot new with Social Security. And um, there are some things that a checkup would really help with. Let me give you some examples of some things that we see sometimes where people miss opportunities. One of them is if you're a married person who never added your spousal benefit after your husband, say, if you're the spouse, the wife, after your husband filed for his benefit. So it's not real uncommon. Um, so you are doing your, um, when we're doing a social security checkup with people, uh, we'll see that one of the spouse's benefit is significantly lower than 50% of the higher spouse's benefit. So maybe they're 3000 and you'd expect, well, 50% of that would be 1500 but maybe their benefit's only $1,000. The reason that could be the case is that maybe uh, the lower earning spouse filed first and claimed her own earnings benefit, which was smaller. And then later on, the husband may have filed for his higher benefit, which would at that time have entitled her to pick up the difference between her lower benefit and 50% of his higher benefit. But maybe she failed to do so, and that's why that benefit's lower. Now, if she had started drawing before she was full retirement age, that may be the reason for the lower benefit because there is a reduction in your benefit for filing earlier. And therefore, if you file later for a spousal benefit, that reduction applies to that also. So anyway, it's just something that should be checked. If you're a lower earning spouse and your benefit is less than 50% of what your higher earning spouse is getting, let's take a look. It may be that that's something that needs to be checked. Another uh, situation is where a divorced person who didn't know that they could claim on a spousal benefit or claim a spousal benefit off their ex-spouse. So everybody can't do this. Uh, there are certain requirements for how long you had been married, how long you divorced and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's being phased out by the, uh, the recent budget act, but some people can still do it. And 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 also some people have more than one ex-spouse, uh, unfortunately, but they, they may be claiming off the wrong ex-spouse. You want to claim off the one with a higher benefit. Uh, the checkup that we do can reveal whether that's something that would make sense for you to do uh, if your uh, benefit on your own earnings record is less than what a spousal benefit would be on an ex-spouse. Another is, uh, say, a divorced person whose ex-spouse has died. Uh, sometimes everybody doesn't keep up and keep track with each other. But if you've been married for over 10 years to an ex-spouse who has now died, you might be able to get a survivor benefit based on what their earnings record, uh, which is higher than your own benefit was. And uh, this isn't limited to just women. It's the picture it has here. Uh, men can also do this. Um, they can claim benefits based on their ex-spouse's work record if it'll be to their benefit. So if you or anyone else you know would like to Take a look at their Social Security strategy, uh, get a checkup done, see what the benefits are. Uh, I'm amazed at how often people don't have really any idea what their benefits would be for Social Security. I know as I was going along in my career, I really kind of thought early on that I'd, maybe Social Security wouldn't be here when I came. I now see why it's, there's a reason that it will be there. But um, so I didn't I didn't ever really take into consideration in my planning, but uh we're there and uh, it's still around. And so at some point when I reach age 70, I plan to start taking it. 
but uh, it's, it's a good idea to take a look as early as possible so that you really uh, do well in your planning and consider all your options and see how it fits into your other retirement income plan. So um, after the workshop, feel free to give us a call um, or send us a, an email and we'll be glad uh, to help you. If you are on the website at spcinvesting.com, you'll see a place where you can book a call with us. Feel free to do that. We can set up a 15-minute call to talk and if we need to uh, schedule a follow-up meeting uh, in person or by Zoom, we certainly can do that and we'll be happy to help you. So this concludes uh, our Social Security update for this year and uh, happy to uh, entertain any uh, questions you might have. If you want to, again, shoot us an email or what have you. I really enjoyed this time with you and hope that you um, do well in your planning and we'll be happy to help where we can. Have a good evening. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. This has been Strategic Planning with Mike Flanders. And we'll be back with more episodes in August. We'll once again get back on the airwaves here talking about investing, finance, and retirement with financial coach Mike Flanders from Strategic Planning Corporation. If you got any questions or concerns, reach out to Mike. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Find all the information at spcinvesting.com. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.